Forty Futures is a speculative fiction series about the criminal justice system, written and read by Jason Taché. Tasteless. Jeff took a bite of his morning cereal, and he sensed something was wrong. Chewing the milk log flakes, he couldn't find the sweetness of the blueberries. Looking down at the bowl, he lazily watched the fruit bob in the milk as he prodded the blue morsels with his spoon. He lamented to himself that blueberries were being ushered to the flavor graveyard where tomatoes and avocados already rested. That's when it hit him. No, 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 he said with increased panic in his voice as he dropped his spoon into the bowl. He rushed to the bedroom where his phone was plugged in. The screen was filled with texts and missed calls from his parole officer. At the bottom of the screen was a calendar reminder. Parole. Check-in. His head hung low and he let out a sigh as he ran his finger along the state-issued computer brain interface behind his left ear. As a condition of release, the court ordered incremental sensory deprivation to swiftly punish any non-criminal violations, like missing a meeting with his P.O. Last time I couldn't see the color green, he muttered to no one in particular. This time they took sweetness. At least in jail, I could enjoy a blueberry. Hey, this is Jason, and thank you very much for listening to this first episode of 40 Futures. I just read the story Tasteless, which was the first and shortest of all the stories in this volume uh, that I've written, uh, and I wrote it last summer. And, and one of the things that I really wanted to get out of this commentary section was an opportunity to ground these stories that might at times seem fanciful in the reality, in today, in like what is happening technically, what is happening in policy, what is happening ethically that could get us to where Jeff found himself in the story Tasteless. So, so that's what I'm hoping to uh, accomplish with these commentaries. I'm sure they will shift and refine as this project moves on, but at least to start, that's, that's the goal. I guess to, to jump off, this story was predicated on two things that I was reading last summer. The first was that Elon Musk's company Neuralink was planning for human trials of its computer brain interface in 2022. That's now. Uh, and still, according to news, that is what is going to happen. It is unclear what Neuralink is going to do. Uh, whether or not it's really novel technology or repackaged existing technology. Um, and so that's a big open question. But the fact is, is like the, we talk about long-term goals for this type of tech, and it is meant to enhance people's brains, whether it is people that have suffered an injury of some kind or a birth defect of some kind that limits their capacity of their brain to, to function in a certain way. Uh, it's meant to enhance that. All of the Neuralink computer brain interface stuff is all about enhancement. And so I was super interested if, you know, if we have things that can make uh, something better, then certainly the dial could be turned in the opposite direction and it could make something worse, which is where we get this sensory deprivation that Jeff experiences uh, as he tries to have his breakfast. The second thing, last summer, the country of Chile, they are rewriting their constitution and, or have been in the process for a while now of rewriting their constitution. And one of the debates they took up was about neurological rights, uh, which is fascinating because to the best of my knowledge, that is not 
a discussion happening in any democratic society uh, anywhere in the world. But Chile was trying to get ahead of this issue because they were worried that if they didn't legislate soon enough and they didn't create a right, a, a neurological right, uh, which is what they ended up doing, then uh, companies, advertisers specifically, would be able to run roughshod in an area of the law that has very little uh, definition to it and very little limits on it. And if we, we have learned anything over the past 30 years, uh, not legislating things and letting us, letting the market uh, just figure stuff out uh, has, has created all sorts of problems. I mean, just in the criminal justice system alone, we can think about the application of risk assessment tools, all the data bias problems that we've been seeing, the output uh, biases we've been seeing. A, a predictive policing uh, has been a, a headache and a nightmare for similar but different reasons. And so you can respect the fact that a, com or a country would want to get ahead of something as invasive as who controls our thoughts and access to them. And, and the way that our brains function. So Chile uh, was a big jump off for me, and they actually got a neuro rights bill passed, making them, to the best of my knowledge, the first country in the world uh, to do as such. And, and for them, they set out a bill to protect the right uh, to mental privacy, personal identity, the free will of thought, equitable access to technologies that increase human capacities. It'll be interesting there to see uh, how that gets interpreted when it comes to these technologies that decrease human capacities. Um, and then finally, the protection against discrimination uh, when it comes to neurological rights. So those, these are the two things that were floating through my mind. Elon Musk's uh, Neuralink project and this debate, this policy debate that was going on in Chile. Now, one of the things I talked about in kind of that opening essay that I shared a week ago was that I needed to feel like these stories were rooted in two ways in the current moment. One was technological. Like, do we have an inkling that this type of technology could exist in the future? And as far as the Neuralink stuff is concerned, I think that standard that I set for myself was met. And the other question was like, does it ethically make sense? Like, could we see this fit in the current way that we treat people that are wrapped up in the criminal justice system? And I mean, unfortunately, that gives me, that standard gives me a whole huge latitude, right? Because we are not particularly kind, <laughs> to say the least, to people that find themselves in the criminal justice system. Maybe we can think about, uh, I mean, just the use of solitary confinement in the United States is a human rights abuse, and we do it with regularity to people. Uh, and that alone, like that, the fact that that is a reality I mean, we don't. We have the death penalty. The fact that this is the way that we treat people in the criminal justice system, to me, it gives me wide breadth to what types of terrible things system actors can do to people in these speculative stories that I'm writing. This, the policy that I'm talking about, that's like swift and certain punishment for the technical violation is is a policy that exists today. Uh, it was pioneered originally by a, a state judge in Hawaii. Uh, the idea being that if you're out on release and you commit a nonviolent technical violation, then you should be swiftly punished for that in a system that's very regimented in regards to what type of punishment is doled out for the type of technical violation. Usually it's a night or two in the local jail 
and then people are, are let back out. Uh, and this is a, not a new policy idea. This dates back to enlightenment thinking. There were, there were writers in Italy that our founders of our country uh, were reading and inspired by. And, uh, and we're just seeing a resurgence of that today uh, in the swift and certain policy. And then I think we just see this mirrored again in the uh, sensory deprivation uh, system that Jeff finds himself tied up in. As well, this story is tied up in the current moment uh, in a couple of different ways, in a couple of different trends where it comes to, I, we see this word more and more as of late, of e-carceration, the different types of electronic tools that can be used for people that are released back into their community but are still tethered to the system through some type of electronic a system basic ideas of this you know it's been around for decades the ankle monitor but uh, these systems are becoming more complex thanks to smartphones and what types of uh, feedback loops can be created on a smartphone app for a person who is on community release either in probation or parole and this is tied to a larger trend that i have watched for some time is that in this moment where there is genuine policy interest on both the left and the right in the United States to try to decrease the populations of, of prisons and, and pretrial populations as well, the, the blue states want it uh, because it is ostensibly uh, the humane thing to do. A mass incarceration is bad, it's biased, it's racist. Uh, and then for the red state actors, they see it as a waste of taxpayer money and government resources, and they're not wrong either. And I think the answers uh, in the confluence of that Venn diagram between those two ideologies. But as opposed to just having fewer people in the criminal justice system, the trend that I see is kind of this sleight of hand that's happening with prison populations and budgets where people might not be housed in a correctional facility or a jail but they will still be ensnared in that system, even though they might be able to walk the streets of their neighborhoods, they might be able to go home, they might be able to hold a job. Uh, and we see this more and more with the use of, kind of these apps that are used in, in probation and parole that ostensibly were supposed to make check-in easier for these individuals with their POs, uh, but they become super onerous. You know, they there's these stories, I think the appeal was writing about this, where people were getting woken up in the middle of the night to do a random check-in. The apps themselves don't work terribly well. There's not a high uh, level of oversight uh, from governments to their software providers on how well that software functions. And it tends to be when that software is meant to impact a poor or marginalized group, such as people in the criminal justice system, then there's even less oversight and care to the functionality of those tools. And that's something that's happening now, right? These, these are things that are deployed in communities. People are having to go and manage their life on account or on top of having to check in through these tools to uh, do whatever the math problems are to breathalyze through these tools. All of those technologies currently exist and, and are in some level of either pilot or deployment um, in various communities around the country. And ostensibly here, you know, the states are saving money. They have fewer people in beds, uh, and that is a good thing. But it's this burden shifting that I'm super uncomfortable with because I don't think it gets us to a more just society. It just, as I already said, it creates this sleight of hand uh, in regards to what the criminal justice system is as opposed to it being identified through these large 
monolithic prisons that dot rural communities around the United States. You know, these people, uh, their prison is their phone or it's an ankle monitor that they are wearing. And it's harder to see it. I see it as an insidious trend when it comes to uh, the shift right now that a technology is allowing uh, the criminal justice system to make. So that's kind of the look at where we're at now and why kind of the situation that Jeff finds himself in makes sense to me, like what, how we could see that, how we get there. The last thing I kind of wanted to talk in is like, so what is then, what, what does that discussion look like that leads up to the system that Jeff finds himself ensnared in? And I think without a doubt, similar to the discussions we see today around the use of e-carceration as an alternative to what we consider like traditional incarceration, I guess, where people are put in jails, they're incapacitated, taken out of their communities, away from their families, away from their jobs. And you could see this as being like coming from a really well-intentioned place as like, as opposed to the swift and certain policy that I already talked about that exists today, where people still have to go spend a couple of nights in jail, which, which, you know, if you're working an hourly job or you're really working any job that you can't take time off, it could be ruinous for you. So you could see this as a, as the well-intentioned alternative It's like, we don't even have to put people in jail for their technical violation, but we should have some punishment for people with a technical violation. And I think that makes sense. I could see very easily see that system, that argument winning in any type of political environment within the United States, especially if the tech is not terribly expensive, either because, you know, brain computer interfaces get to the point where they are easily mass produced, or because the companies, the the vendors that the government would contract to run these types of programs are incentivized to get the boatloads of data that presumably would be collected from these people's minds. Uh, and then used for, you know, God knows what else, or, or sold to whomever they'd want. Because <laughs> as much as these stories are flung far into the future, I'm not optimistic that at any point in the future, the U.S. is going to have a comprehensive, comprehensive data policy at the federal level. And so that's, I think, that's, I think, how we get there. That's how we get to the point where, you know, somebody missing a meeting with their PO in the morning can't taste the sweetness of the blueberries of their that's in their cereal. And I'll, I'll leave it there for now. I am super curious into people's feedback into this, whether or not this type of commentary uh, is helpful or illustrative or what could make it better. Uh, so I hope that you are willing to share your feedback with me. You can, of course, if you're getting this through the newsletter, uh, just hit reply and uh, I will get your email. Or you can find me on Twitter at J-T-A-S-H-E-A. That's at J-Tashay. And for now, thank you for listening to the first episode of 40 Futures. For links to what I talked about today, check out justicetech.download. That is the URL. This is a project written, recorded, and produced by me, Jason Taché. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll be back in your feed next Thursday. Until then, take care.